Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Which is that? 
Um, that would be very relatable. <laughs> Another word I like to bring in is um, feedback. Like, you know, navigating moments when we're getting feedback from people and noticing how the word feedback lands in the body. Sometimes I have to breathe through hearing that, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm going to bring my curiosity to this moment, but it takes a takes a moment to to meet that. I remember I had a boss many years ago, and um, she always had a lot of feedback for me. <laughs> but she would always say, "Renee, can we take a walk?" <laughs> that was the that was what would tip me off that she had some feedback for me and I would just sort of like flinch every time she said <laughs> Renee we need to take a walk um, so not easy practice but I do want to explore it and it's been an area in my own practice that's been very rich um, exploring my own mistakes and as a teacher here being the one to do most of the talking, um, I have lots of opportunities to make mistakes and, um, and sometimes, you know, have an impact on people. Uh, so I've actually been, um, one of the things that this talk has come out of is being asked by, you know, meditation centers, retreat centers to help them figure out how can they make their spaces more accessible to trans, non-binary, and gender-diverse people. So, you know, it was um, part of doing some of the first uh, residential retreats for trans, non-binary, and gender-expansive folks. Um, so I've been invited with some of my co-teachers like J.D. Doyle and Fresh Love White to, you know, help, help other centers figure out how they can do better. And um, and through doing that, and particularly with Spirit Rock Meditation Center, doing trainings for their teachers' council, we've really um, sort of come to realize that, you know, I can't tell you how to do it right. You know, I can't tell someone how to always get someone's pronouns right, how to always make sure, you know, to use the right language. Language is changing all the time, um, and especially working with younger folks. You know, I'm hearing new pronouns I haven't heard before. I'm hearing new ways of identifying gender and sexuality that I haven't heard before. I'm constantly learning. So there's no way I can get it right, even in my own group, even with other trans folks. I'm still going to be making mistakes. Um, and then there's like the changes that even happen. You know, I recently was teaching at LGBT retreat at the Biasitos Mountain Retreat Center. And, you know, someone discovered uh, as a part of their week of silence that, you know, new pronouns were emerging, new, a new name might be emerging. So people are, are changing also constantly. So rather than trying to always keep up and get it right, I've like turned like reoriented my attention towards like how do I actually meet the moments when I say something that has an impact on someone else and really take that as where I'm going to focus cultivating more capacity to meet those moments knowing that inevitably they're going to arise inevitably I'm going to make a mistake or misstep or say something wrong um, so you know inviting myself to like, rather than come into uh, 
you know, a class or a retreat being like, how do I get this right? Come in being like, okay, when am I going to make a mistake? Like, and just be, <laughs> be ex- even find a little excitement and curiosity about what that's going to be and how it's going to unfold. And I'll tell you for sure, teaching retreats, you can guarantee something is always going to come up. It's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be a moment where you're going to say something that doesn't land well with someone. So great, it's going to happen. Like, and so I, you know, work for myself to prepare to meet those moments with as much presence, kindness, curiosity, um, and caringness and compassion as I can. And for me, that really connects with my own, um, what I think of as my own path of the Bodhisattva path, you know, being committed in this life to always be practicing to reduce suffering for myself and others. And um, sometimes that seems like, you know, just so big, you know, the, um, the vow to, um, you know, to end suffering for all beings. It's just enormous. You know, beings are infinite and suffering is so great. Like, how do I actually day to day practice into this bodhisattva path? Um, I, I, um, I often recite Shanti Deva's prayer from the Path of the Bodhisattva as part of my own practice, and there's a piece of that that goes, "May the pain of every living creature be completely cleared away. May I be the doctor and the medicine, and may I be the nurse for all sick for um, all sick beings in the world until everyone is healed." Mm-hmm. And just like feeling in my own body this like longing to end suffering, longing to bring healing, longing to really reduce suffering in the world. Those words like always land on my heart just like with such a yes. Um, I'm just going to read them one more time. May the pain of every living creature be completely cleared away. May I be the doctor and the medicine, and may I be the nurse for all sick beings in the world until everyone is healed. So it's both like, yes, and then it's like, whoa, but how? (laughs) You know, how can I show up in this way? You know, how can I be part of healing the world? And um, so it's been helpful to me in sitting with that enormous unanswerable question Um, to like turn to my just everyday relationships and everyday ways that I'm in interaction with people and see like how can I be um, you know causing a little less suffering how can I be and I think many other many different talks I've given here have pointed to different pieces of this so for instance how do I navigate conflict um you know, like being in intimate relationships, um, just there's so many different aspects of this. But one that's been, you know, that's, that's felt like concrete to me is this piece of meeting the moments when they have an impact on someone else. Um, 
And it feels really timely also in just our world when there is, you know, just increasing conflict, increasing polarization. There's just much, at least in my world, it feels like things have gotten very black and white, like either you, you know, you're right or you're wrong, you agree, and, um, you know, are acting towards this or not, and this is a very, like, good, bad, black and white kind of feels like world that we live in right now, especially when I think back to, you know, like, when I was young in the 80s and 90s, it felt like the world was much more nuanced, and maybe that was just the part that I was in, but, um, so we're navigating, you know, maybe more conflict with our families, our communities, our um, loved ones, and this piece of just meeting um, these moments to me is also a stay in relationship even when there is polarization. Um, I know in my own family, like around a number of different political things happening right now, it's gotten to the point where we just have had to say, like, we don't, we're going to choose not to talk about mm-hmm. things. And that actually doesn't come out of like avoiding conflict. There's been a lot of conflict that leads to that decision. It's a way of like for us to be in loving relationship with each other, even in moments when we're so on such different pages about what's happening in our world. Um, so yeah, and um, yeah, so there's no one right or wrong way. To navigate all of this, but my like guidepost is how can I navigate um, these differences and conflict in a way where I am staying in relationship, where I'm continuing to be um, meeting people with kindness and compassion, um, and also you know the other thing that's coming that's really present for me is the just across our country right now, there's such a sort of a wave of anti-trans legislation that's mm-hmm. being passed in states all across the country. And there's not a lot of reporting about it, but it's been just really, um, you know, and honestly, it's terrifying to see that there are states where things like what bathroom I use is being criminalized, where having an ID that would make, you know, match my gender is being um, criminalized or made, you know, impossible. There's so many um, ways right now that um, in this polarization there's you know, in some ways it seems like just a resistance to change, you know, as I am, you know, teaching in spaces with young people and see how much change is happening, how much people, younger people are thinking in totally new ways about gender and expression. Um, you know, even for me, part of, as part of that group, it's like, woo, this is a lot to keep up with. This is a lot of change. Um, Things weren't like this when I was young. <laughs> um, and so I can almost, you know, there's like, in trying to have compassion for everyone, I can see like, oh, it feels like the world's really changing and I can see it might be one, like we wanna corral some of this change. Um, stop it, stop our world from changing. 
and doing that through really violent, coercive legislation. Um, so holding that like compassion for everyone and then also holding the loving boundaries of like no, like we have to be able to have our own our expression, including our expression as trans and non-binary people. So I, I feel like just you know offering ways that we can navigate the change, that we can um, navigate the change in a way that's compassionate with others and compassionate with ourselves is actually a, also an offering towards helping everyone navigate this changing world, everyone adapting. And if we didn't have this idea that I think somewhat comes to us from patriarchy and white supremacy, that we're supposed to always be right, that we're supposed to always get it right, there would be more room for us to just be messy, make mistakes, and still stay in relationship with each other and not have our relationships be at risk when we make a mistake. So that is also part of my impulse for this, offering this piece about navigating mistakes. So I'm just going to take a breath there. So how do we do this? You know, <laughs> you know, maybe you can think of a moment recently where, you know, something that you said, you could just tell it didn't land the way you meant it with someone, or maybe someone gave you some feedback, um, or, um, you know, you just knew, <laughs> oh, I didn't get that right. Um, but I'm going to address particularly the times when you get to hear from someone that you, you made a mistake. And so, like, I can just think of innumerable times that I have, you know, just used the wrong pronoun for someone. And, um, you know, so many examples, just like forgetting, or even though I know I still use the old pronoun, or maybe it's a kind of pronoun I'm not very familiar with, like I have a friend who uses key kin pronouns and I struggle with those, or whatever it may be, I just made that mistake so many times. Um, so that's like an easy one to bring up. Um, and so just like you know, if you have an example that you're thinking of, I invite you even to just think into a moment of either that moment when you realized, oh, I said the wrong thing, or the moment when someone said, oh, that's, um, you know, that's not right, this is, you know, this is my name, or this is my pronoun, or whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be about pronouns. It could be about anything. Um, you know, maybe it's just like cutting someone in line at the supermarket or, or anything. But just, you know, if there is a moment that you can bring to mind, I invite you to bring it to mind. And notice, if you have access to this, you know, what do you notice in your body? Like, really, like, not getting into the interaction you said, they said, but just taking a moment to be with the body. I notice, as I'm thinking at one of these moments, like the first thing I notice is this real tightness in my solar plexus. 
Notice the sense of taking a shallow, very shallow breath. I notice like a sense of um, energy or activation in my hands and feet. I notice like a kind of a sinking feeling. Um, like almost a sense of like wanting to disappear into the earth. Um, other sensations that come up for me are like maybe a turning away or a leaning away from the experience. So yeah, just so when I invite like a sense of like, can we feel in first to just sensations? What are the sensations that arise? And, um, you know, just like a really normal thing that happens in this moment is like a wave of shame, you know, and that may also come with like some heat or flushing. Um, you know, what are the other sensations? Yeah, that sinking feeling for me can come with shame. And so, yeah, I just be like, oh, it's just really normal that there might be some shame or embarrassment that arises. And this first piece of meeting one of these moments is to just be present. My first step is just be present with myself. And there's a lot going on, like I just described a whole bunch of things, but all of those things are happening in like a split second. So it's like, I will take a pause. That pause might just be the pause of a breath or two breaths or three breaths. It's not necessarily gonna seem like a lot of time to someone else, but in that time, what I'm doing is just really turning to my own sensations and emotions. So starting with sensations and then also noticing, um, you know, there might be shame present, there might be fear, there might be anger, frustration, um, Uh, yeah, there may be other emotions present. So just taking that that first level of sensations, emotions, and turning towards myself with care. And yeah, just taking a moment with myself. Most of all, to feel the feelings. And then the second piece that I invite myself to do is to really turn to the relationship. So if I'm you know, in an interaction with someone else, to actually also take a moment to be with, you know, here's this person, they just let me know that maybe something I said hurt, hurt or was an ouch or had some impact. Um, and like really turning my attention to the other person, having first turned my attention to myself and then bringing interest, maybe starting with interest if I can bring some curiosity um, and maybe like a sense of caring about the relationship. Um, and in that, I try to like kind of open to what I've already heard from them and then ask, maybe ask a question or reflect back what they said and say, did I get that right? I hear, I heard you say, um, that your pronouns are they, them. Did I get that right? Maybe restate what I said before. Oh, I meant to say, they're going to the store. 
Um, so just like going for understanding in that connection. And then the third piece is, is there something that I can say in that moment that would be reparative for whatever um, may have happened? So in the case of like, oh, I used the wrong pronoun, I said, you know, oh, right, your pronouns are they, them, did I get that right? Um, restate what I said. They went to the store, they're going to the store, um, and then, you know, maybe it's just a simple apology. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Um, sorry, I used the wrong pronouns. It may be just as simple as something like that. And one thing that I have found is when I can meet the moment and really be present, um, present with myself and other person, make that acknowledgement or maybe simple apology in the moment, often there's like, it's really a sense of, oh, then we can move on from this moment. It's often when I don't meet those moments that things really um, get difficult in the relationship. When I try to come back later, especially if it's a, some amount of time later, that it can really be a challenge. And I'll, I'll get to that a little, in another, um, a little bit later, because I've got to, did that recently too. <laughs> um, but just to recap, it's like this take, I've, for myself, I've boiled this down into like these three simple steps. Attend to myself and my feelings, open to the other person with interest and curiosity, maybe ask a question, and then is there a step, a repair step here? So it might be an acknowledgement or a apology. Um, sort of boiling that down to these three steps that I can remember to do in those moments when of course it feels like, I feel like really under pressure, might be surprised, um, might be like, oh, I didn't think I was gonna have this conversation today. But you know, by boiling it down to these simple steps, it's something I can bring to mind, even in that kind of place of being under pressure. So just offering that as a way to practice, a way to practice with these moments. And of course, it's, that's like, often they're much more complex than that, but, um, but I find that, that bringing that practice up um, even in what seems like really minor, you know, minor missteps is a way to sort of build this capacity. It's like, uh, it's a practice and um, finding every opportunity that I can to practice it. Um, even something I might, you know, might be like, oh, this isn't a big deal, I don't need to. But oh, I've got an opportunity to practice. <clears throat> Great. Um, and I find, actually, as I do more of the practice, I notice more of these moments or people, perhaps because I'm meeting the moment, people feel more comfortable giving me more feedback and it's sort of like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this and now I'm getting more feedback. <laughs> but that is how I've experienced it, yes. <laughs> when people, um, you know, sometimes people don't give us feedback because they're like, what's the point? It's not going to be received. You know, think it's going to go well, but when they start to know that you're a person who can receive feedback, actually they start to give you more. Um, and so then you're like, great, more chance to practice. Um, 
and at the um, at the East Bay Meditation Center, my spiritual home, we have a set of agreements that we work with, and I think probably I know I've shared them in other um, things we've done here, but uh, one of them. One of my favorites is understanding the difference between intent and impact. So, like, really acknowledging that, um, you know, one, just that what we've intended to say and how it's actually landed with somebody are just two different things. And we have, don't have any control over how something lands. And um, and that in those moments where something that we have said has landed as an ouch for someone or un, you know creating some discomfort, that's actually helpful to attend first to the impact. And it, there might be a place to say, oh, here's what I meant. Here's what I meant to say. Um, but that place is not at the. It's not helpful. I've found to have that be the first thing to say um, you know and that's why I take a that step of attending to my own feelings so that I'm not asking the other person to do that right away you know so for me um, you know sometimes particularly when there's like really been like just a misunderstanding or you know um, I feel like it would be helpful to clarify what I meant to say after taking the steps of, you know, like bringing that empathic attention to the other person, saying whatever acknowledgement or apology feels appropriate to the moment. Then after that, I may say, you know, I, um, would you be, you know, would you be interested or willing to hear what I meant to say or where I was coming from? At that point where it feels like, okay, this person's been heard and acknowledged, then I will can bring in that question of like, would you be willing to hear what I meant to say? <laughs> and then if they say no, then it's no. You know, they might just not be open to hearing it right then. Um, and sometimes it's like, yes, I'm curious. What did you, what did you mean? <laughs> and then I can explain. Um, and again, not taking a ton of time to do that. But, but it can be helpful, especially when it's like, wow, we were just on really different pages there. Um, and for me, an apology doesn't necessarily mean that I'm saying that this person was right and I was wrong. It's like just really acknowledging the impact. And, but holding on to my own, where I was coming from, and sharing that if the person's open to hearing it. So it doesn't mean that we have to erase our own experience or what our intentions were, but just knowing that bringing them in, you know, saying, oh, I meant to say, when right when we've hurt somebody, it's just not helpful. It only is going to pile on to that experience. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're totally don't care about our intentions. Um, so like a lot of what this, um, you know, just this mo meeting, the moment of having an impact on somebody, um, this is something that I think of as being also a part of accountability. And I think that, like we talk a lot about accountability, um, you know, especially asking people in the world and leaders and different figures to be accountable to certain things, um, 
Uh, but the more interesting part for me around accountability is actually on how am I showing up and being accountable um, to myself and others. And so I'm just going to bring in a definition. This is from Kiyomi Fujikawa and Shannon Perez-Darby, and they define accountability as accountability is taking responsibility for your choices and the consequences of those choices. So, um, so just sort of, in another way to say it, is just sort of being responsible for our actions, for our words, our actions, and I would say also our inactions. Um, and, you know, so also in the teaching seat, um, you know, often impacts that I'm navigating are just the consequences of decisions. And, you know, also at the East Bay Meditation Center, we really work to make the space as much as possible accessible to everyone. But what that actually means in, in you know, practic- you know, practical terms is that we're often navigating conflicting needs. You know, so I was teaching recently, teaching a class, and there was one person in the class who was, um, you know, immunocompromised and was asking us as the teachers to mask. And then another person in the class is hard of hearing and really relied on lip reading and really needed us to not mask. And of course, there are like clear masks, but we didn't have a good solution with that that also worked with the mics. And it was just like, wow, there's actually not a right answer here. There isn't one thing we can do that makes this accessible to just the people who are in the room. Um, so then it's like, you do have to make a choice and know that that choice is going to have an impact on someone. And then meet that and be responsible to that impact. And that doesn't mean that we as the teachers were making the wrong decision. We were just doing the best that we could, but then we also want to meet the impact, you know, and um, continue to be in relationship with everyone, even though sometimes we have to prioritize one need over another need. So for me, that's also a big part of accountability is just this, you know, um, we can't get it. We can't get it right. Sometimes there isn't a right answer. And we're going to still show up and meet the, um, the con- consequences or just meet the experience of the people who are impacted. And, you know, acknowledge and be transparent about how we're making those decisions. So, um, yeah, so that's a lot of what, how that shows up for me in this practice. And, um, there's a few really great um, resources from a transformative justice writer named Mia Mingus. She has a great like article blog blog post about apology, about making a good apology that I've gone back to over and over again. Um, maybe I can send it as a link to send out and whatever follow up. Great. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And she also has a, a really great article that she calls Pod Mapping. And it's really looking at um, how, do our, how does our community support us in these difficult moments? Maybe when we've had an impact on someone or someone's had an impact on us, um, or we're just you know, part of a group and we're noticing difficult dynamics. Like, kind of, can we identify ahead of time who can be a support to us in 
um, in navigating these situations. And that's something else that's been really helpful to me is to sort of identify people that I can go to when I'm struggling with either someone having an impact on me or me having had an impact on someone. So I was mentioning I had a time recently where I didn't meet the moment, and I really let something kind of um, sit for much too long. And it was a situation in a group with a group of friends um, where, um, you know, I kind of repeatedly in this, we were kind of, we were taking a class together, and I had, in a couple different situations, um, sort of like taken up more space in the group than um, maybe I would in retrospect. And it was also a mixed race group where I, as uh, um, as someone with a lot of light skin privilege, um, you know, had a certain positionality there. And, and it, it, it impacted, you know, a darker-skinned person in the group who felt like they weren't able to kind of show up in the space, um, partly because of the space that I was taking up. And, um, and it was just like there was so much complexity in it um, because it was like... Um, yeah, like there was, there was a place where I was sharing something really vulnerable and then it was really hard to hear that that like landed on someone else as like actually there's not space for me to also be in this space and even though I knew I was having this impact I couldn't I couldn't find my way to really like just check in with this friend and say hey how are you doing I know you were impacted when we were together by my share. I just want to see how you're doing. Is there anything I could do differently? Like, I could have just totally did that. And I, and I was um, in a place with some hurt around um, kind of like the feedback I was getting. And I wasn't able to move into that relationship. And it ended up taking like a month for me to reach out. And I was like, just sitting with myself, like, what's going on? Why is this so hard? I teach people how to do this. <laughs> and I found myself really stuck. And that was when I was like, oh, yeah, my, who, where's my team? Where are my, like, support people in this moment where I've hurt someone else? You know, like, we often really naturally think that when someone's been hurt, yeah, we need that support team. But actually, when we've caused someone hurt, we also need that support team. Um... And so I reached out to a friend and I was like, I just really need to talk to you about this, like really talk through my feelings. And so we sat down and, and I just like said everything without worrying about whether I was right or wrong, just like talked about the hurt that I was experiencing and the complexity and my struggle in the situation. And then after that conversation, I was really surprised, like I didn't feel stuck anymore and I reached out to the person who I'd impacted with an apology and you know and it's like because so much time had passed of course it's not like they were like oh great yes um, we're still in, in some repair but um, that is more because of how long it took me to, to respond um, but I just like that was such a learning for me like I actually even though I'm the person 
who's caused some hurt here, I need empathy. I need empathy to move through this experience, and I can go get it from someone else, and I don't need to ask the person who I've hurt to give me that empathy. So it's just, yeah, it was a really, whew, it was a good learning. (laughs) (sighs) And painful. (laughs) But just noticing that that was like what was, you know, sometimes there are barriers to being able to show up in this situation, and in this case, my barrier was feeling like, um, like I didn't get the empathy that I needed just to be able to process within myself and show up with that care for another person who I had impacted. Um, I, um, you, you also all know I love Lamarad Owens, and he has this new book out called New Saints, and it's really about this bodhisattva path um, that I've been talking about here. And he talks about one of the... So he uses this term, new saint, for the bodhisattva. And he says one of the key qualities that this new saint or bodhisattva brings forward is something he calls awakened care. And um, and I feel like this really connects with this piece of... um, how, for me, this just meeting these moments connects with the bodhisattva path. So he says, awakened care is the antidote to individual and collective narcissism. It is an expression of our natural state of being and a positionality that decenters our sense of self within the ecology. It is not just about me and my self-preservation anymore. It becomes about how we, me and all others, will survive. Awakened care is the realization that everything in my life can be aligned with not just my personal liberation, but the liberation of all beings. So in this quote, I just really connected with this um, this piece about this quality of what he's calling awakened care is this piece where we are actually um, really deliberately decentering ourselves, which doesn't mean that we're abandoning ourselves, but that in community we're like deliberately turning our care to others, even at moments when we might feel um, at risk or uh, some sense of maybe the threat of our own belonging. We're still going to turn to others. Um, with care, and and for me, this this practice around meeting mistakes is just a kind of a concrete everyday way of really turning to others with care, and to some extent, decentering myself without abandoning myself, um, still staying in connection with myself, um, but like turning my care in some way to the collective, turning my care to my relationships with others um, as this kind of awakened care, which is not easy or comfortable. In my experience, the awakening and enlightenment is rarely easy or comfortable. (laughs) It's often quite uncomfortable, but it's a moving into alignment with what I care about. So I just want to leave us with that, this idea of how do we practice into this awakened care of the bodhisattva in our relationships in our community? 
Yeah, and I want to just check in. Um, I know we've got we're getting close to the end, but just to see if there's any questions or comments. I just realized I, I was thinking that the timing was a little. Do we have time? Yes. Yeah. How much oh, time do you need? Oh, I'm um, We have about uh, five more minutes, six more yeah. minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two short things, and then kind of more of the question. Yeah. Um, the idea of making mistakes reminded me of Chris Pratt, who mm-hmm. was in like Parks and Recs, but then suddenly was in Jurassic World, <laughs> getting a lot more media attention. And I remember him saying his first interview, "I just, I just want to apologize ahead of time. I'm going to say stupid stuff, <laughs> and I just want to apologize ahead of time." And he was right. He stuck <laughs> his foot in his mouth. Um, the second thing is I'm currently working on a, a high school production of Twelfth Night that I wrote the music for. Mm-hmm. And it's a school where I, I taught, uh, I retired from teaching three years ago in a different arts department. And uh, and in our cast, uh, just in the three years that I've been gone from the school, a lot more students uh, identify as gender fluid mm-hmm. and uh, non-binary. And what's really, really cool, if you know Twelfth Night, it concerns these yeah. two twins both the actors playing Sebastian and Viola are both uh, uh, identified as non-binary. But what I've been experiencing is just how hardwired pronouns are. Mm. And what's great is the, you know, I don't feel like I've just really done something horrible when I misname, mm-hmm. misname them. And I'm also so impressed by the support that the non-binary kids get from their, their classmates, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I wanted to bring up was, um, for me, I've been able, you know, one of the main things that's eliminated some of dukkha in my life is not taking things personal. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, I say, you know, don't think, take things personally. Even if they're meant personally, don't take it personally. So it's really easy to not take things personally if somebody like yells at you on the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, but my under, you know, the way it kind of operates with me is that, well, of course, my mistake was personal, and, and any kind of criticism is directed to me personally. But it's like that. I guess what I'm saying, not taking things personally, is not getting caught up in the hurt mm-hmm. or the, or any kind of other kind of emotion, and uh, and just you know, I mean that's kind of yeah. So any thoughts you have about yeah. that? Yeah. Well, I like to just notice that there's some choice around, like, am I going to take it personally or not? You know, like there is some choice there, and and I notice that. Actually, not taking it personally is a relief. <laughs> yeah, there's some freedom in not taking it personally. Sometimes, even when it is meant personally. I mean, it, there can be total truth in right. your criticism, but right. it's just if you, it's about that, once again, that kind of reactivity right. that gets in the way of you really being with the other person. Right, right. Yeah, and sometimes, like, someone can be saying something and it's right, but you're like, wow, they're coming at me with a lot of energy. I'm not sure this is really meant for me. <laughs> And that part, so I can be like, oh, I'll take in the learning here, but I don't need to take all of that on, because it may not all be about me. It may be about another relationship, it may be about their parents, it may be about, who knows, 
you know. You don't have to take all of that. Yeah. Rachel Online has a question. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll be brief, as I know we're running late. Uh, thank you for my heart, truly, from what uh, I was able to uh, hear and digest. I'm so sorry for being late. I look forward to watching, listening to the recording, and I hope you come back to us. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Rich. I, I, I struggle sometimes when... Someone comes at me with a lot of <laughs> anger or rage, often just random, you know, totally not personal, totally mm -hmm. not. I, I, I can kind of intellectually see this has nothing to do with me. I'm just in the Damn. arena where they're there. But, like, energetically, it gets into me, and it, it really disrupts my nervous system mm -hmm. for some time. I mean, I, I, I could think of things where I'm like, for a day later, I'm, wow, I'm still just feeling really uh, unregulated. Yeah. Just from having that mm -hmm. whatever craziness it was tossed at me. Mm -hmm. I, I find that really hard to handle skillfully. I, I can talk myself through it up here, but just getting it in my emotions and bodies is really yeah. challenging. Yeah. And it can come even with a smaller, like a... a a feedback mm -hmm. right? you know, that, that can happen in that situation too. Like, oh my God, this is just throwing me off for six hours. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've definitely had that experience too. And I just, I, I, one thing um, that sometimes is helpful is like pulling apart, there's kind of like the not taking it personally piece that you were mm -hmm. just talking about. Like, am I getting hooked here somewhere? What yeah, on something? There is some hook. Yeah. That, is there a hook that hooks into one of my things, and can I take care of that? Mm -hmm. And then there's also just the body and nervous system piece. Like, actually, how do I shake this experience off? And that's something I deal with a lot. Also, in my restorative justice work, where often we're in very heightened emotions, talking about very painful things, and even if it's not about me, sometimes that's just in the field and it's in my body and nervous system. So. I also think a lot about how am I like cleansing and shaking off just what's landed in my body. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like, um, you know, dancing, um, really vigorous exercise, um, just taking a shower. Um, there's like some things that just help my body process because sometimes just the body needs to move that energy through. Mm -hmm. But to actually address those pieces a little bit separately, because they both need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know we're at time. <laughs> I just want to say one short thing. I appreciate the uh, what, will, what, what, did you say, what mistakes will I make today? Mm -hmm. And coming into it with that. And, yeah. Um, I cringe, I have a cringe when I make a mistake, that's mm -hmm. the way I describe it, which has a lot of sensations, but as a teacher um, in the classroom, I cringe a lot, and I make a lot of mistakes, and um, and I have a particular student who is prob probably has ADD and makes a lot of mistakes, uh, uncontrollable mistakes, mm -hmm. and so I feel like tomorrow I'm going to go in and say... I wonder what mistakes we're going to make. Today. Yeah. Right. And then, like, be more aware and have that language mm -hmm. of, like, oh, we did it again. Yeah. And, um, lighten it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah.
Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your attention. Um, next week, our speaker will be Kevin Martin, a Vipassana meditation teacher with a decade of experience. Um, he's learned to practice meta. He's learned meta practice from his teacher's insight and cherishes witnessing life's aspects, others' fears, experience, others' fear experiencing. Um, and do we have uh, any announcements? Yes. I'm the host today. Please stay and enjoy the company of the saga, the refreshments out there, vegan, non-vegan, and full of gluten. So something for everyone, hopefully. Uh, there's tea available. You know, just put your cup in the sink, and I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll be going around with the Donable to accept contributions. We suggest 10 to $20 to help us uh, meet our expenses, and they include the honorary for our wonderful speakers, rent on the center, um, we send out a quarterly newsletter, mostly mailed to people in prison, and subsidizing our retreats, of which there are two this year. I'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, there's a newcomer's um, sign-up sheet on every desk if you'd like to be on our list. And some members go out to lunch at 1230. You're welcome to join them. And uh, we are having a retreat in Vajrapani, April 17th to 21st. And Sean Oaks is going to be our teacher. And the registration will be on the GBF website any day now. They keep promising me, and uh, we'd love to see you there. And you could con- there's some contacts for more information. I think that covers it. And if anybody um, online would like to donate, please um, go to gaylewis.org and click on the uh, donate button. Um, I think. That's all we have in terms of announcements. Okay, so let's gather for the dedication of merit. Um, Renee, would you like to offer the dedication of merit? Yeah. Yeah, so just invite you to take a moment to feel your feet. Feel the connection between our body and the earth. And also to feel your hands, feel the connection with our circle, or if you're on Zoom, maybe feeling the connection with your own body and the energetic connection with our group. And we recognize the goodness of our coming together and practicing together in community and offer to share this goodness, this merit, with all who need it, sending it where it is most needed. And that may include ourselves. So sending out this merit all around the world where there is suffering, conflict, grief, loss, heartbreak. Letting this merit be a bomb for our world, and sending out our wishes. May all beings everywhere be safe and protected. May they and we receive the care that they need. May all beings be well in body, mind, and spirit. May we all 
know peace, ease, and well-being. And may all beings everywhere be free. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.